Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, it's Roy Wood Jr. And up next is an episode of the Daily Show podcast, Beyond the Scenes. This week, we're taking a look at racism in the adult entertainment industry with Daily Show segment director Stacey Angeles and adult entertainers and co-creators of the adult film company Royal Fetish Films, Jet Setting Jasmine and King Noir. We're discussing how the porn industry perpetuates racist stereotypes and capitalizes on racist film titles, how consumers can hold companies accountable, and what constitutes a sexual fantasy. Have a listen. Hey, welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the podcast that goes deeper into segments and topics that originally aired on The Daily Show. This is what you got to think about this podcast as, like... This podcast is like a secret family recipe. We got all the ingredients to make that homemade dish that that only your mama knows how to make. And she refuses to write it down or pass it on to anybody because she don't want y'all to be happy after she dies. And you could really do the recipe justice, but you know, but your mama be hating. But it is what it is. So, yeah, that's what this podcast is. I'm Roy Wood Jr. And today we're talking about a segment we filmed back in 2016 that asked a very important question. Is the porn industry racist? Roll the clip. Well, no, not that porn clip. Roll a Daily Show clip about porn. Don't roll a porn. We're trying to keep our license. There's definitely racism in porn. This is the only business in the world where uh, a female can say yay or nay to a person just because of the color of her skin. Black men are particularly portrayed in porn as being thugs, criminals. What are you black men doing in my house? Black women are portrayed as extremely ghetto. The titles are racist itself. The porn industry will take anything painful to black people and just add a pair of titties. Black wives matter. 12 inches a slave. Hell, they even remade Roots. You you girls is going to get me killed around here. Anybody that would say that there isn't racism in porn really needs to be slapped out of. Today I'm joined by segment director Stacey Angeles, who helped produce this piece. Stacey, how you doing, old friend? I'm great, Roy. Always love talking about porn with you. Well, thank you. I'm happy that you're the only person I talk about porn with at work as well. Hello, HR. Aww. I know you're listening. <laughs> uh, also joining us for this conversation are adult entertainers, life partners, and business partners. They're co-creators of the adult film production company, Royal Fetish Films. 
She is a licensed clinical therapist. Please welcome Jet Seddon. Jasmine to the program. Jet Seddon, how you doing? Madam Jet? Doing Madam well. Seddon? Oh, Madam Jasmine? I like all those. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll take it. And also, uh, your partner in business and your partner in real life, King Noir. King, how you doing? Peace, peace. It's good to be here. Now, I'm excited to hear about some stories of racism because you know that's what I love talking about as a black person. <laughs> <laughs> but first, Stacy, I know how this piece kind of came to be. I don't remember who else was in on the inception of it, but I do remember Trayvon Free coming into my office and he just goes, hey, man, you want to meet Misty Stone? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, sure. Why not? I'll do, and, and keep in mind, up until that point, the pieces I had done were police reform, um, the 20th anniversary of the Million Man March, and betting on the election. I was so happy just to do something that was just completely off the wall. <laughs> and I, if I recall, you were relatively new to the show. So what did you think when they brought this piece to you? No, I was super new. And so it was my going to be my third piece. So I think there were five pieces floating around and obviously i got drawn to porn because everybody loves porn even people who say they don't watch porn love porn but then i saw the story and i was like oh this is a little bit darker because uh trayvon sent me an article that was like white women were demanding more pay to sleep with black men and as disgusting as that was it was shocking to me because i don't know maybe i'm naive but when i think of the porn industry i always think of like sexual free open-mindedness i never thought that it would be something that had so many boundaries or whatever. And then when I was researching more on it, I saw that not only is it racist, they're like capitalizing on it with the titles and the premises. And it seemed like a narrative that they were kind of getting away with. And also, I never worked with Roy. And so it was my first piece with Roy. So I was very excited about that. Yeah. But what did you find most surprising? Because I'll be honest, like when I was doing a little bit of the research going into, you know, for the for the listeners, um, as a correspondent, it's very important that you get the backstory on the topic that you're researching because it makes you a better, a more adept interviewer when you're speaking with um, your your scene partners, if you will, for this particular, that we don't call them scene partners, but the people you're interviewing, you want to know what the hell you're talking about, right? And so I just remember seeing all of these random racist porn titles. We had a researcher, uh, Devin, uh, Devin Leary, who was with the show at the time, and uh, she had to watch hours of porn and find the stereotypes so that we could find the jokes in them. And so like her desk was so popular, (laughs) like 12, (laughs) 12 years a slave, like, like, like just parodies of just popular films. They were just like, yeah, let's flip that into a porn. So was there anything that shocked you about this shoot? I was going to mention Devin Leary because uh, she's she did all the research and she was a segment producer at the time. She's amazing. And I said, you know, we need to find a bunch of porn that has that really banks on all those stereotypes of black people being criminals, breaking in thugs, you know, whatever. And I and I was thinking she might have to dig deep, like baby. And it was like instant. She's like, oh, my God, I found one. And the titles were not even the titles aren't even subtle. They're just like, oh, no, a black man broke into my house oh no, there's a black man inside my wife. Like they were just, it was an, an embarrassment of riches. And it just, it was just like so much. She almost gave me too much stuff. And then it, that was like insanely surprising to me. And then the second thing that was really surprising was hearing things uh, white women 
were more willing to do over having sex with a black man, like triple anal penetration and prostitution and uh, everything was shocking. Because like I was saying earlier, I really thought it was just open-minded industry, which maybe I am naive in that. White women will demand more money just to take that black bone. White girls will ask for double, triple, quadruple the amount to do an interracial scene. This seems to be the only industry where a white person can just straight up go, I ain't working with no black people today. You couldn't do that if you worked at a fast food spot. You couldn't just go, who's cooking? Stanley? Oh, baby, you got to pay me time and a half if I'm gonna be working with these Negroes. Jasmine, give me the first time you were on set and you, you know like when you're in the middle of racism, like when racism is pro- in progress mm-hmm. and you just be sitting there talking to yourself. King know what I'm talking about too. You just be like, am I experiencing racism? This field, oh, okay, Jasmine, just hold the chicken and biscuit in your hand and bend over, okay, and action. He's like, wait a minute, did he just ask me to hold a chicken wing and a biscuit? Like, walk, walk us through, you know, both of you, walk us through that first time that you discovered the level of discrimination that existed in the industry, or were you put up on game about that from the jump? So I think we're both going to be able to give you a range of examples. And so for me, I was put up on, like the reason why Royal Fetish Films exists is because as a consumer of porn, I was like, I can't, I, first of all, I can't watch it and listen to, you know, I can't listen to the fake blacks and I can't listen to the stereotypical tropes. I can't listen to the chicken and biscuit jokes. Like it, it became a form of entertainment for me that was like, if I'm enjoying this, there's something wrong with me. And I'm not enjoying it, so mm-hmm. why am I watching it? Now, where, where am I going to go to get inspiration to masturbate, right? So when King and I started working together, it was like, we need to create something that we could feel proud to watch. Um, and we were hearing this from, we, you know, we're already doing sex education, hosting parties, and um, we were already hearing this, like, I don't watch porn specifically from Black women because we don't see ourselves reflected. It's degrading. It's hard to feel sexy when you are seeing the lowest representation of yourself and your people. So I already knew like whatever we created was going to be something that I wanted to watch. Now, that being said, as we started to become more popular, at least for me, people were starting to ask me to shoot for their company. And so I come from uh, in this industry from a privileged space where I can say like, no, thank you. That sounds like I'm going to be sitting there in exactly how you describe like "Mm, I'm in the middle of some racism. And so I was able to say, kind of know right off the back, they're like, oh, well, the scene is going to call for you to do some twerking. Um, nothing's wrong with twerking, but you've never seen me twerk. To, why would you be casting me for that? Like, I'm probably not the best person. Like, if you want to see great pointed toes and some modern dance, like, sign me up. But for twerking, you know, you're just kind of making an assumption that because I'm black and I do porn, that that's what you're going to get, Right. So, um, but I will say that what I have seen, and I've worked enough corporate jobs and for government agencies to know that sort of like baseline of racism that's there. Um, I look at where where the bottom line, where the dollars roll, and I found that my white counterparts were getting uh, money for hair, for makeup, and for costuming when they shoot. And for me, it was like, um, make sure you bring your own makeup kit, and you know, we'll we'll do something with your hair. You know, you have that style that's so edgy and. And um, pick, bring Sound a couple like of on some sitcoms. I can relate to this. Keep okay, <laughs> bring a couple, of, bring a couple of outfits, and yeah. we'll choose from what you have. And then later to find out that this is a line item when my white counterparts shoot. 
you know, so there are, um, there's that. There's also, I have found, like, even leading into this interview, I was like, let me just go, let me Google myself. Let me Google myself and the N-word. And because <laughs> I know I don't say it. So somebody had to put it out there. And a lot of my scenes have been licensed using words that I did not agree to. Now, since those are, a, a lot of those scenes are older ones. Since um, we got even further up on game, we now make it a, a part of our contract that they cannot sell our scenes using any type of derogatory language. Um, because a lot of times you might be thinking that you're shooting for a company that has your best interest in mind and that sees you as whoever you are. And then, you know, three times around, you're in Germany as black nigger girl twerks on big black dick husband or not yeah. definitely wouldn't say husband criminal you know <laughs> so. yeah yeah or ghetto women give blowjobs to pay their power bill like it's always like why they need the money in the description so i've right. heard i've never been to any of these sites right, <laughs> titles are so saying. long <laughs> i think yeah. also with with a lot of the times when it comes to just that open-mindedness of the industry that Stacy had just mentioned, it might be open-minded for the white performers. Like there's a certain level of freedom that they have even within their titles, but within the black titles, there's this whole desperation that is also put with it as well. Mm -hmm. And for me, I have experienced all the way from the subtle racism to the, I've been called nigger on set before. You know, um, I was at a shoot like in house. the scene? No, it wasn't even in the scene. I was uh, just a random crew member. No, nah, it was it was another performer. She wanted to have sex with me off camera after our scene, and I was like, "Nah, I got things to do." I was actually about to call Jasmine and check in on the family, and she catches an attitude and messages. We had the same agent, and she messaged the agent. King is being an uppity nigger. To my agent, he won't have sex with me off camera. And you know what uppity mean. When they call you uppity, that just means you're not doing what white folks want you to do. Yeah, they're trying to break you. Exactly. The company tried to tell me that I should still film with her. I basically had to tell them nothing that I shot with her should ever be released. I had them sign. Like, I wrote some shit on a paper right there and was like, y'all signing this. Y'all never releasing this or there's going to be a problem. So then they tried to tell other people in the industry not to work with me because I because I'm a problem because I don't want to be called a nigger by my co-star. But if she's a white woman, she holds more power than you in the industry because white women are kind of the golden geese, fiscally speaking, for a mm -hmm. lot of these production companies. Right. So I want to challenge yeah. that, Roy. The perception, right, is that white women are the golden the geese. They um and I think that that's where it's the reflection of society and the industry. But when you look at what the top selling genre is, it's interracial. You cannot have, you know, a white woman mm -hmm. alone is not making the top dollar. When you look at the top searches, it's interracial, hentai, um, MILF, right? So there are certain subsets of the people that are participating in the industry that actually are the clickbait. They are, you know, so this idea that, you know, white women have specific power in the industry, it's more of a reflection of our larger society and how we see them 
as, um, you know, without without fault, um, to be protected, to be uplifted, to be, you know, held in this prized position. But if we look at the bottom line, they need to sleep with someone other than themselves to bring in the highest number of clicks, advertisements, and money. What is the dynamic on set, though? Like, if you writing cease and desist on the back of a napkin on set, what is the HR situation in that? Like, okay, like, like let, me, let me break it down. Like, cause all I know is like, is like acting on a set. And yeah. there was some time years ago, I played an extra, I played a slave in the background of a Civil War reenactment. This is like 97. This is my first ever television credit. And we're all dressed like slaves. And it's, you know, they're showing Union soldiers walk by and the director comes over and goes, you know, could you guys mime like you're clapping like he wanted us basically to be doing like some humming and singing around the fire type <laughs> like singing slave hymnals and we all kind of looked at each other and was like yo no i just kind of want to i'm already dressed like a slave my man just let me just sit here and just chill how much do you get to challenge when they try to add a little they try to like you agree to one thing and then you get on set and they try and flip the script, King. Like, has there ever been a scenario where they try to come in and sprinkle a little race? Hey, 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 you mind, King? I love what you're doing, but uh, let me sp- put a little racism on top of it real quick. Okay, and action. Let's do it again. Uh, I mean, those are the times when you have to make a business decision where it's like, am I comfortable with this? Am I walking off set? Am I going to deal with whatever backlash is going to follow? Because have you walked off set? I have walked off set. I have definitely walked upset. I have had, that's why I said I've dealt with so many. It's sometimes it'd it be that type of racism where it's like, I have a lot of black friends. I grew up with black friends. Like just, just recently I had this thing where he was the, this is the director. This isn't like another book for this, is the director. The first time I ever went into somebody's house and it smelled like chitlins. I'm like, what, what does that have to do <laughs> with anything that we're doing right now? You know what I'm saying? And it's like we haven't smelled chitlins in the house in like <laughs> I don't eat pork. You know what I'm saying? So, but it but it's like stuff like that, and it and it did wind up having to. It led to a conversation that I was like, mm, I might never work for this company again, but I need to have this conversation in a way that's not gonna completely make them be like you know angry black man, but they gotta stop. And it had kind of led to this thing where I can't go. He was talking about Atlanta, like some neighborhood. He was like, you know, white people can't go there. And I was like, where where in America can't white people go? Y'all own stuff. You gotta go, you gotta go to the hood to collect your rent, or or there's a Burger King there, or there's whatever. You know what I'm saying? There's no place in America that you can't go. But I know if I'm a Ma Aubrey and I'm running through a neighborhood, I know I can't be there. I can't go to Bensonhurst. I can't go to Sundown Towns. Correct. That's that's our reality. That's not your reality. But it's shaped that way. So I had to have this conversation on set with the director. And then, and I knew like, and at this point it's just like, I'm not in the, I'm not in the mood to after this. I am, I know, like, I'm like, look, it's not going to happen. Oh yeah. Also, there's not going to happen to shoot. Exactly. It's not going to happen today. And, and trying to explain that, like you sometimes will have to, it's not going to happen for me. And you don't always have to, sometimes you're going to have to put it like, I can't work with you. But sometimes you just got to you got to take that L. And that's the tough part about our industry, because there isn't an HR department that I could say, hey, you know, who who are you going to go to with most of these companies? These these are their own companies or these directors are also the 
heads and owners of their company. Is there a union? Pardon me if this is an ignorant question, but is there like an actors union for adult entertainers? To, there, there are some organizations. There's the Free Speech Coalition um, that works to to uphold um, some forms of advocacy for performers, and um, there's also a guild. But it's very, very loose. I mean, part of the issue is that the porn industry is stigmatized from the rest of the workforce. I mean, we literally have a hashtag that sex work is work, right? The only time that we're really recognized um, as being a part, a fiscal part of the society is taxes. That's the only time, you know, it's that what goes into our bank and what comes out for taxes. But um, trying to uphold like a discrimination suit, sexual harassment and those type of things. Think about where would what court are we bringing that to that also validates that what we're doing is work, that what we're doing is consensual, that what we're doing is moral. Um, just sort of thinking about the pandemic that we are that we're still in. I know everyone else is out of it, but the um, there were the PPP loans that came out for people who you know had businesses were trying to keep their employees working. We have a uh, a full production company that we wanted to sustain over the pandemic and keep people working. But the morality clause, there's literally a morality clause in these loans that although we are tax paying, legally producing um, producing content, uh, paying our taxes, et cetera, et cetera we don't fall into the requirements. And so, you know, because the structures that are supposed to be able to support us with taking, whether these are claims up for discrimination, hell, hate crimes, if you will, right? Being called a nigger on set, um, sexual harassment, any type of harassment, or the financial discrimination that I talked about where my co-stars are getting paid more for the same work, if not less than what I'm doing. It's really difficult. It's even difficult to find a sex worker friendly attorney that'll take up your clause. So we are really off. It's like a marginalized industry with marginalized people within that industry. It's like we're in the margins of the margin. Mm-hmm. Stacy, we, I know within the piece, we talked a little bit about you know, how the porn industry perpetuates racist stereotypes, you know, in the present. The thing that I hated was that we really weren't able to get deeper into the history of porn, you know, in terms of the roots of the racism and all of the other different. Talk to me a little bit about some of the pieces and parts that that we wish we would have had space for. For the record, I pitched porn part two, but then Trump got elected and, you know, we had we had different priorities. (laughs) within the building. I mean, I remember initially reading a pitch about it being like, we wanted to make this like the civil rights movement of the porn industry, making you like the Martin Luther King of it and trying to... you were trying to like. Um, What's your dream, camp- Roy? You were What's trying your to. Dream? Yeah. <laughs> the- I think so he was that- like trying to inspire white women to sleep with black men to, you know, end that stigma. But with everybody, though, because th- that was the. F- oh, you just brought it up. Wait, That's there was I also think. a hashtag. I think there was like a hashtag Black Dongs Matter. Like, there was like. Yeah. I remember like Yikes. a bunch of absurd ideas that like popped up. If you're like me, you love good pornography. But there's a problem. Black people are constantly being portrayed as criminals. And sexual predators. And porn companies aren't doing anything to change it. So I am. For a limited time, I only see black people getting portrayed positively in my new porn series, Affirmative Actions. Starring me, Goodwood Jr. I'm horny. I'm busy. 
I run a Fortune 500 company. I do not have time to come home and just bang you repeatedly. We only had time to focus on black discrimination, but yeah. then there's also the issue of Asians, you know, yeah. being presented as submissive or made. Yeah, and just, oh, I'm so quiet, and Islamophobia mm -hmm. being a big part of it. And then, mm -hmm. oh, you're not light skinned black, you're Latino. Pretend to be a Mexican. Yes. For that. So that's this right. Idea, you wanted to go into that. That happens to me all the time. They'd be like, can you play Puerto Rican? <laughs> what does that they mean? Just like, how do you? How do you I'd be you? like, yo, Puerto Ricans are black too. They just were colonized by a different language. What What do you like, want me to do? And then do they, you they have get scared. Sex differently? <laughs> do you talk with an accent? Hola, chica. I am here for the, the donde grando. Like, that's a terrible Puerto Rican. Please don't cancel me. Stop, play, stop playing Puerto Rican. You're but listen, it. we can't even. So, for for example, um, I'm Filipino and Panamanian. Oh my God, me too. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm Filipino. Hey, Pinoy power. Um, so, <laughs> but you would be casted. <laughs> you wouldn't be casted as Filipino, um, and oh. neither am I. You know, I and I, I'm fine. Like I know I'm a black Filipino and a black Panamanian. But when people ask me, like, you know, oh, what should we put here? And then when it comes out, it's still like. Black, black lady <laughs> black lady <laughs> you know um, can i so yeah. can, i'm so sorry this has been like lingering over my mind um king when you were talking about that offensive woman whatever her name is i don't remember we don't have to name her how the hell do you perform with someone after they throw all these offensive racist remarks at you how do you perform with them on camera after that i don't i i don't personally um for me like i said with with that particular situation they had to remove her from the follow-up shoots. But the, and it's funny you mentioned Puerto Rican because when we, I was shooting the rest of the scene, like another part of this, of this film with two other uh, performers, one who was there for when she said, well, when the whole thing happened and the other who they brought in to replace her. Okay. And then the director yells cut. And then uh, one of the women said, why did you get mad? I thought you were Puerto Rican. <laughs> and uh, yo, oh my god! And, and that and that was the end of my working period. No. Like like literally no. in the middle of, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this no more. And the craziest shit is they shoot in Iowa, so I had to get out of Iowa. <laughs> oh god! And it was in Iowa after this after this racist situation. There's nobody to there's nobody to connect with in Iowa after you go through some racist shit. You can't just talk to the brother next to you because he ain't there. Yeah. <laughs> Let me find out they got some porn studios in Iowa, man. I've been going to the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like in those kind of situations where I said like it's like you're gonna have to make a not only a business decision but there's a certain decision that you have to make for your own humanity, and it's like nah, y'all y'all gonna have to pay me the kill fee for this shoot because this isn't this isn't appropriate. This is a bad situation. I'm y'all don't deserve my dick no more. I got to go. Bring it home. That's what I tell women too. After the break, I want to get a little bit more into the work that you all are doing at Royal Fetish Films and how you all are helping to solve this problem. And we need to talk a little bit about your boy, Marty Klein, Stacy, who was in the segment. Don't say he's my what? boy. That's not my yeah, boy. Well, you the one found him. I didn't want to interview Marty oh, Klein. Okay. 
<laughs> Talking about it's not racism if you don't want to watch black people on camera having sex. Whatever, Marty. We'll get into that after the break. <laughs> this is Beyond the Scenes. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yes. When those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. no we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The thing. That's we the didn't problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh, my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how how lucky we were <gasps> yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Beyond the scenes, we are talking about racism and porn, a little segment that I did back in 2016. Shot some of the interviews out there. I didn't know this, King and Jasmine. I didn't know that they like that the porn industry, y'all rent out a nice big six bedroom house. Each bedroom is a different universe of a set. And there's just multiple adult films being shot concurrently all in one house. And I was like, wow, this is a that was like the most shocking thing. Like, cause I don't know why just growing up watching porn, I just always thought that was somebody's real house. Like the concept of a film set <laughs> did not register with me. I thought they were just shooting at somebody's crib. Actually, me too. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Y'all were, in, you were into the That's fantasy. That movie magic right there. You yeah. Know? yeah. I was like, that, that looked like a roach on the wall. That's, I know what that, I know what that house is. You know Hold these on. Airbnbs don't always be clean now. <laughs> that's why I quit. Yo, you want to know something that's really wild I've seen a porn one time I've been, I've been in so many hotel rooms over my 25 years of comedy I can tell the hotel by the quilt pattern mm-hmm. and I'd be like oh no that's a Hampton Inn I'd be staying at Hampton Inn like, uh. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about uh, Royal Fetish Films and the work that you all are hoping to accomplish with that company because you know, the first thing I want to do, let's set the table and just talk about the history of discrimination and racism in porn and white women saying they make less money if they have sex with a black person and what it is exactly you all are trying to undo with uh, with your film company. So I think a lot of times people like to compartmentalize whatever industry it is, whether it's porn or music or 
Hollywood film, whatever it is, and think that the racism that exists within it is somehow specific to just that industry, but it always goes back to the same shit. You know, America is born, rooted, and grew up on racism. You know, yeah. America's number one industry was our ancestors here. You know, like just running through the numbers of of our worth, our ancestors' worth, being worth more than the country and the and the currency of this country going back to the 1800s, right? But the important part to think about with the the stereotypes that we see in porn is that those stereotypes were born in in how they sold us, how they purchased us, and the fact that for example, like in Virginia and Maryland, their number one export, if you will, and crop was our ancestors, was black folk. And they had breeding plantations. So like a lot of times people talk about tobacco, rice, and cotton. But America also had breeding plantations that they sold our ancestors on and they had specific ways that they did it. So like, for example, black men were uh, a lot of times specifically purchased by the size of our penis. Because whatever these racist slave owners back in the day, they were like, oh, he'll probably make more babies because his penis is bigger or what, whatever the fuck they thought. On some horse stallion type shit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so that is one stereotype that we see to this day. Because if you look at just percentages across the planet, man, dicks range. There's big and small of all races. But the, the perception of black men's penises being larger is because for however long... These white men just sat there with black men on a stage looking at us butt naked and trying to select our dick size. The shit has been imprinted on their brain because that's what they look for in us. It's also what they fear in us because they have raped so many black women, black men and black children over this time. You know, when you look at just the history of film and the history of entertainment, first ever, you know, popular groundbreaking film, they say, is Birth of a Nation. You know, and Birth of a Nation was all about the Ku Klux Klan stopping black men from raping white women. Yep. Uh, Mandingo was all about a slave owner who goes on a trip and was afraid that the mistress of the house was going to sleep with his slave Mandingo because he had been raping all these black women on the plantation. And this is American popular culture. First popular culture in music was minstrel music, black, white people in blackface imitating us. So all of this stuff culminates in porn because these fantasies have been stuck in their head for hundreds of years. So now they get to put out 12 inches a slave as a thing for just like, had you mentioned for, for uh, 12 years a slave or this, this fear of any kind of movement that we have in a positive direction where you saw like that film that was called um, black wives matter. Mm -hmm. These feelings and perceptions Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, they're rooted in all of these fears and racist ideas that they've had of us for years and years. And if you look at a lot of the stereotypes of black people, they are also based on what they did to us on the plantation and, and kind of how they manifest themselves in the world today. So I think something that's really important when you said, like, what are we doing to fix this? Hopefully the the work that we do, I, I hope that changes the industry. But so much more important to us is helping us realize our range of sex and sexuality. And I say our black and brown people who also are terribly impacted by these stereotypes, not just from like, oh, I can't find anything to watch in porn. 
but I don't have any reflection of what I'm supposed to be like sexually. You know, we talk about folks that are on some of these sets and can't walk off, that they don't have, you know, the means to be able to make that type of financial decision, how that leaves their psyche. We deserve to be a part of this industry just like anyone else. If this is how we would like to monetize our body, some people want to type for a living, some people want to, you know, uh, play sports, act, what have you. We choose to have sex and to do sexual acts for a living. We deserve to be in this industry without harm. We want our population to be able to type in, uh, you know, black couples and romance, BDSM, um, kinky, black and kinky, and see something where they are not the fetish, that there is an actual act of kink and fetish of sex that doesn't have to be degrading, that doesn't fall into these racist tropes, that allows us to see other types of uh, bodies interacting with each other, people from different walks of life, you know, just so many different expressions that unfortunately we don't see. Um, the other work that we're doing at Royal Fetish Films are we are sticking it to these uh, larger larger companies. We're going on their pages and we are consulting with them and letting them, letting them helping them understand that if you can't see it for yourself, see it for your bottom line. Your, your search engines, all your algorithms show that people want to see us in film. And when I look at your site and you, you know, point me to the, your premium content or your front page, all I see are white women that are of a certain, uh, certain size and appear to be of a certain age, a younger age. And that is, that's a mismatch. You're not even marketing to your consumers. You're not marketing to what people are, are looking for. We're challenging them to um, see the black dollar in the adult industry. It's important for us to help our people be represented, to see themselves, because the way that you, what you see in porn, um, we know that it's a primary source for sex education because there is no sex education in this country. So, Facts. you know, Facts. if people are gonna learn there, I wanna make sure that my interactions, my sexual interactions aren't based on somebody's terrible education that they got from, you know, the front page of one of these tube sites. Um, if people are going to learn that this is this is how I have sex, like it's important in our films where we are showing people are having conversation about what kind of sex actually want to participate, that you have autonomy of your body, that you, you know, can be bound and suspended and checked on and, and showing that on camera and showing, and it showing on that camera. as part Word. of the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not exactly. consent and intimacy and closeness and conversation yes. through the actual process of intercourse. Mm hmm. I mean, our Absolutely. shit ranges from sapiosexual all the way to like hardcore BDSM and everything in between because black sexuality is all of that. And there was so many times people would say stuff to us like, that's some white people shit. And we would challenge that and like, no, it's not. You really think people only started this way within the last three, four hundred years? No, our people have been spanking each other on the ass for thousands of years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Open yes. your mind, you know? <laughs> So that's what like really got us into like, how can we decolonize these ideas and, and open up our people's minds and do it in a beautiful way? Because sometimes when you look at mainstream porn, it'd be looking like they don't even give some coconut oil to not be ashy on set because they don't know how to make our bodies look good anyway. You know yeah. what I'm saying? From the lighting to coconut oil, the wigs, the makeup, you know, all of it. And having things that reflect our culture, like music that you actually want to playing in the background instead of whatever it sounds like, you know, from back in the day. We we try to make everything that reflects our culture and who we are. 
Stacey, I guess the, the challenge we have is trying to figure out a way to make everything they just said funny. <laughs> like, I know. You, yeah. How do you how do you dig and navigate the seriousness of this topic and still find room for humor for humor, other than getting me to talk to Dr. Marty Klein yeah. in the segment, who said if I if, and I'm I'm gonna paraphrase, but he basically said if you're into some ghetto ass porn, it doesn't mean you're racist. It's a fetish. That's just what you're into. It's not that big of a deal. I think that anybody who reads racism into pornography, they're just prejudiced about certain kinds of sexual fantasies. These are real titles. Oh my God, a black man banged my daughter in the ass. Black bull for hire. King Kong's ding dong. It's a fantasy. It's easy to find humor in, some, in something with the, such an outrageous counterpoint of view, but like, what were some of the other ways that you were able to find humor? Um, Man, working space. with you helps. You're very good at making depressing subject matters funny, which is a gift. And But <laughs> he, I think when people are stupid and say, you know, terrible things, it's I think it's taking their logic and flipping it on them. So I think you did a good job of that when he was like, it's just a fantasy, like Star Wars or whatever. And you're like, okay, so let me get this straight. If I saw a white woman and I said, Hey, you cracker bitch, you got some big ass breasts. Wanna squeeze them? That would be racist. Yes. But if I had an erection while I said it to her, that's fantasy? It's a fantasy. It's like Star Wars. Porn is like Star Wars. It's not real. When you say those words out of your mouth, you're like, he sounds... So I think one way to find the humor is just like these people that are so narrow-minded taking their logic and taking it to the absurd extreme and, you know, flipping it. To that point, Jasmine and King, then, to, to Dr. Marty Klein, it's just fantasy. When do these fantasies cross a line? Like, how, like, is it about being tactful and showing only white, like, if I only want my white woman with white men, but also do we, like, add, like, like you know how, like, on YouTube, where after you watch three videos, you got to watch a 15-second pop-up? Do we show them 15 <laughs> seconds of interracial? <laughs> Before I think, they go back to the old way. <laughs> I think I think one of the things is like if you just think about it, if you went to the Daily Show and was like, I don't want to work with any Chinese people today, you would not have a job tomorrow. No. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but but in porn, Bye. people say, I'm not working with any black people. And that might not even just mean someone on camera. That could be there's no black director or black key grip or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So that's one thing. And then also as like, you know, have you ever heard the term queen of spades? Uh, no, no, later All on. Right. So queen of spades is some racist ass shit, but it's white women who will only sleep with black men. And a lot of them, they get this tattoo of a Q with a, with a spade. And anytime you see the letter Q by itself, it's usually a problem. So. <laughs> yeah, y'all done took the goddamn alphabet. What? It up. Oh. <laughs> but but so but Why so get the tattoo what is because the point it's of the it's kind of like this his this whole like a branding mm -hmm. it's is it's it like, like a, a black branding. lives matter oh shirt but for like it's more like a white lives matter shirt in a way because mm -hmm. you know if someone call if someone walk up to me and call me a spade in the street we fight you know what i'm saying like spade yeah. has been 
it's it's a racist term so basically it's like i'm a queen of spades so it kind of goes back to that history that i'm talking about from the plantation because a lot of times people only talk about overseers and slave masters raping slaves mistresses did the same thing mm -hmm. you know so it, it's rooted in that same thing like these black men serve my pleasure that's it None of the black men that they work with, are they talking about his intellect, his creativity, his love for fine arts? It's literally he is here to pleasure me. And that's all the purpose that he serves. And then going back to the Klein thing, it's like when you if you have a fantasy that is rooted in something that in the world is taking people's lives. It's problematic. I, I like to use people's fantasies um, as a way of helping them understand like things outside of their fantasies, right? So when I'm working with therapists on how to use porn in practice, it's like, what does the porn that you watch, what um, what does it say about about you? How do you feel when you watch it, right? Does it, um, you know, if you're only watching this particular uh, style, why is that? What is it telling you or informing you about those people, if it's like a specific type of people that you watch, you know, is it an attraction? What are you attracted to? Are you fetishizing the person? Are you letting out an aggression towards that person during that time? Is it because you're curious? Um, and, and then helping them explore what would that fantasy look like outside of the fantasy? Is there someone at work that you never speak to, um, but you just go home and like, you know, Google, I don't know, the janitor or something along those lines? Um, what would that interaction be like? Can you interact with someone in a way that is not hypersexualized or fetishized? Um, or is your only connection, like King said, through these stereotypes? So, uh, you know, there is, when, when people are sharing, if they're willing to share, about their racist sexual fantasies. I, I know we can be so quick to just want to shut them off and call them racist. And that would be true. And that is okay. But if you do have like the capacity to go a little bit further, it's to, you know, help them become curious about why that is and how that is really shaping their ideas about these people in reality. When you said that janitor thing, it made mm. me think of this, this one site. It's like a mental institution. And... The men play doctors and the women oh, are God, patients, no. right? No. And so I had got booked for this site. And so like I go on their Twitter the day before and they're like shopping for the scene. And they're getting stuff from like Home Depot. They're getting like, you know, like the big yellow mop tub and like stuff it. like that and mops and shit. And so I, I hit my agent. I'm like, can you ask them what, what role they have me playing in this? And then so they were like, you're going to be the janitor. <laughs> what? I was like, never. I was going to be the first black man on their site. And they were like, nah, you're going to play the janitor. <laughs> Why can't you be a doctor that also has sex with the patients unethically? <laughs> well, after the break, we're going to bring it home and ask a single question who else can help y'all make the change and who is responsible for helping y'all clean up this racism and porn? This has been a good discussion thus far. Let me do a little research in the second tab while we go to this break. This is Beyond the Scenes. We'll, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. 
We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. When, yes. those, when those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> You're here. You're here already. No. no we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The that's we didn't the problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize <laughs> well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into, right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how <gasps> lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Beyond the scenes, this has been a wonderful conversation. I knew it would be serious, Stacey, but I just didn't know it would be so heavy and rich with just knowledge and just folks straightening this stuff out. Because, you know, Jasmine, as a therapist, like you have to approach this from a like like you can't you don't have the ability to just yell at white people and white come and go, it's racist and y'all need to stop. You have to, like, get into the idiosyncratic Aspects of the well, the finances it'll make more money. Did you know that your consumers would also enjoy? Like, talk a little bit about that aspect of it of trying to turn the corner with people who don't understand just how damaging and emotionally corrosive this is for everybody who's taking a part of it. Right. So, a couple of things. One is, um, I I really want to give props to the Daily Show for doing that segment. That was probably risque. Um, even though y'all touch upon a lot of a lot of controversial topics, you know, when it comes to porn, that usually is an area that everybody can go like, we, you know, we all watch it, but we all pretend that we don't and that it's dirty and it's gross. And I use the clip um, in our presentations when we're talking about decolonizing sex, as well as educating therapists and medical providers on how they can communicate with, um, you know, with their clients in using adult entertainment. So, um, you know, it's like using something that we know everybody watches The Daily Show and being like, see, people are talking about it in mainstream. And, you know, even they're able to make the connection. So, of course, you can at your higher level um, make this connection for your for your folks and also challenge your own attitudes and behaviors on sex, specifically by what you watch um, and how that perpetuates in your work that you do. But our work, you know, we draw it out even beyond porn into sex work, right, because people who produce um who perform in porn and produce porn are sex workers. And it's really important for us to normalize sex work. So when we are talking to, and, and we provide education to therapists, medical providers, even realtors, like how you y'all are missing out on a population of folks that are looking for safe places to live. Um, and affordable, you know, take their money, take their money. <laughs> but in yeah. order to take their money, they have to trust you. 
right? And you have to legitimize the work that we're doing and, and validate us and, and a lot, a lot, not discriminate. So uh, oftentimes I'm always coming at it from the perspective of like, we are a huge population. There's someone in your family that engages in sex work. Um, and if they don't, they probably will looking at the projections of the economy right now, right? So go ahead and do something. Oh, it's a lot of people on OnlyFans. They that are. pandemic hit, all oh, them OnlyFans shut oh, up. Yeah. It showed in. <laughs> so we need to go back and to the lockdown. they make money too. They making bank on that OnlyFans. I seen them numbers. I said, man, let me go and get me some big dick pills. <laughs> you don't even have to do that. Every, everybody, there's somebody for everybody. Oh, there's someone for you, Roy. There's something for you. There are coins I for heard you, Trevor too. No, I heard Trevor Noah was leaving the Daily Show. I said, man, let me see what this OnlyFans is talking about. <laughs> Check it, it is. No, really. So, you know, it's it has been so important for us to normalize sex work, normalize porn, right? That you watch mm. it and you should feel good about watching it. It's a form of entertainment, just like everything else. When you, you know, you should be able to watch it with the sound on. You should be able to watch it without being offended. You should be able to find a reflection of yourself. And so um, really helping the consumer, like, take some charge of what they're consuming. You don't have to just eat it because it's in front of you. There is a menu that's out there and we help them learn how to shop for it. So, you know, royalfetishxxx.com. <laughs> Go check it, royalfetishxxx.com. <laughs> Who is responsible for making effective change? You know, we've talked about the production companies. We talked about the way a website will take a video that ain't even what the, the, the slug title says it is just because they know to get someone to click on it and stay within the site. So they'll augment the title of something that a production company made or is it the consumer? What responsibilities do the consumer like? Who is who who could help? Who was the next person to join you? Like when Batman went and got Commissioner Gordon to help him clean up Gotham, who is the next person? Is it the consumer? Is it the production company? Is it the websites and, and the distributors? Like I'll start. I'll start with you, King. I think it's everybody, to be honest. But I think. It's very important, the work that we do to inform the consumer of how to purchase non-racist and ethically made porn. So, you know, if somebody doesn't know that they can go to Royal Fetish or doesn't know the other sites that they can go to where they can find content that is not only, you know, pro everybody and non-racist, but also where they can go where they know that the performers are are involved in acts that they enjoy, um, that they're not there on some, you know, desperation, then they'll make the right decision. It's like that scene with uh, Elijah Muhammad telling Malcolm X, if you choose between the dirty water and the clean water, people are gonna choose the clean water. And people not, might not wanna think of porn as clean and dirty water, but <laughs> there is some porn with clean water out there that you can find that has all the things that you're looking for that, that involve all your fantasies and show you different routes of pleasure, but you can do it in an ethical way. Yeah, it's all parties involved, everybody that is benefiting from, from porn. So the production companies need to stop being lazy, like fix the template. The scenes need to be more reflective of the people that are in them and the people that are watching them. Um, the performers, I definitely feel like we have a responsibility to, to have some advocacy, some self-advocacy and draw the picket line somewhere. You know, not everybody could jump off set, but you could try to negotiate. You can um, be upfront with what you're comfortable with before 
having that that little bit of racism sprinkled on you, right? Like you mentioned. Um, so go in, go into those situations already describing, you know, what your boundaries are. Um, I think the consumers also need to follow the performers directly. And um, you know, I say the easiest way for the consumers to to engage with work that they could feel good about is if the performer is promoting it, usually we're not going to promote something that didn't make us feel good on set or that we're not proud of or that we didn't have um, uh, consent in in the labeling of it, right? So, you know, if you're going to watch something, like get to know the performers, and this helps us also humanize the, the, the industry itself. It's like, Oh, I like what King had to say. Okay, go find his work and look at what he's promoting and purchase that or watch those scenes um, because more than likely we are going to, again, promote the things that we feel good about. And then finally, I do think it is the advertisers. They're making money off of our backs, but they're not willing to hear our demands. So it is really important that advertisers stop pouring money into sites that are acknowledge, won't acknowledge that this stuff is problematic and that it needs to be removed. So yeah, and if you see stuff like the same way you can, I think for consumers, I, I don't want to put so much responsibility when people are like anxious to have a uh, orgasm that they have to like stop and write a letter before they can engage in the work. Right. Um, but one yeah. of the things that you can do the way that we touch all forms of social media and content is like, un- don't like it, like report it. Right. Or just put a thumbs down and keep it moving if you have to. Um, so it's a small way, but it lets people know that are putting this shit out that it's like, Oh, this didn't do so well. Something about it. Maybe I should take the, you know, racial slur out of it. You know what we need, Stacy? Hmm. We need we need like a ethical ethical porn logo. You know how they got that recycle logo. You know, the be- you buy vegan like, logo. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like the Whole organic, like, like yes. Yeah. yeah, we didn't murder nobody to make this product, and then yeah, the little seal. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all so much. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you to our guests, Stacy King, Jasmine. Thank you all for going beyond the scenes with me. Now I'm gonna appreciate it. Open up these tabs that I had minimized real quick. Play the theme music. Thank you. Let's go. Oh, hello. hello. Listen to the Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. 
From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.